you turn in your Bibles to the second chapter of the book of Philippians, so this little tiny letter that is so filled with the joy of the Lord, and this, this morning Paul is going to shift gears. We, we saw you know, this incredible vision, really, Paul shifts gears for us and, and reminds us that, that you know, what, we, what we learn in practicality in our lives needs to ultimately put it, be put into practice. So practicality, practice need to go together. What we are as believers in Christ should result in who we are as believers in the world. It's the easiest way to understand it. And nothing marks the people of God like the way we focus our time, our talent, our treasure. The world is extremely self-centered. Amen? That's the way the world is. Everything is pretty much about I, me, and mine instead of them, they, and theirs. And yet Jesus came to this world so that we might be saved. He paid that price for us. So he was the most other-centered person that's ever walked this earth. Paul is now going to help us understand that. Here as we begin the second chapter. We'll pick up in verse 1, verse 4 verses of this afternoon in being others-centered. Let's pray and ask God to speak through the wonder of his word. Father, we have again come uh, just as your children. We want to hear your voice. We want to know what it is that you'd want to say to us as we study these verses. God, would you give us instruction? Would you give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say? And Lord, then would you help us to do it? We want to have the type of focus that you, Jesus, have. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be more others-centric, others-focused. We bless you. We praise you. Speak now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in Philippians 2, and therefore, in other words, looking back, we've seen all these things that we actually are because of who we are in Christ. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, and he's going to ask four rhetorical questions here, and we'll enumerate those here in a little bit. But he says, if there's any, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort in love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. And then he goes on to give the opposite side of this. You see, here's the picture for us. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Self-purposed, self-willed, narcissistic living. Our focus should never be through selfish ambition, trying to please ourselves, doing what is right in our own eyes. Let nothing be done, not a thing, through selfish ambition or conceit. That word conceit is pretty easy to understand. It means to think more highly of yourself than you should. And you see, here's the problem with us as human beings. We almost always see other people's faults and ignore our own, don't we? We look at the things that are going on in other people's lives and we go, well, praise God, I'm not like that. And so we are a little bit prone to conceit at times, to have a view of ourselves that's not really accurate if we'll actually stop for about two seconds and consider who we are. You see, when I look at myself honestly and openly, I go, I got some issues. When, when I understand who I am and how far short of the majesty of Christ that I fall 
all of a sudden, I lose my conceited attitude. Because I realize that I probably wouldn't meet my own standard. The one that I would throw out to say, well, you should be like this, 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 and this. You see, I would fall short of that. And so if I see myself correctly, I don't hold other people to a standard that I myself would fail at. It's unconscionable. And so he says, look, don't do anything through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness, that word lowliness can also be translated humility. But in lowliness or humility of mind, let this mind be in you. Remember, that's also in Christ Jesus. You you see, let that humility of your mind, when you recognize who you are, be in that mind. The mind of Christ. Jesus came to this earth that we might be saved. Amen? Did you do anything to earn your salvation? The answer is no. By grace you've been saved through faith that not of yourself. It was a gift of God. You can't boast about it. Matter of fact, when you got saved, you weren't exactly a bargain to God. You were a mess. You had issues. You still have issues. Amen? Any Christian that doesn't realize you still got issues needs to look at your issues a little harder. We still have issues. We're still being saved in that sense. The work's already been done. You're saved by grace and through faith. But that work of redemption, that sanctification, we can all grow there. Amen? There's things God's still at work doing in our lives. We need to be very careful about the standard that we hold other people to. Because we ourselves have not yet arrived in that sense. But in lowliness of mind... Let each esteem, notice this, others better than himself. In other words, herself. You look at someone else, you so recognize your own shortcomings, your own weaknesses, that your instantaneous thought is you think better about other people than you do about yourself. That's what Jesus did. Think about it this way. When he came to this earth, he was God incarnate in human flesh. Amen? Fully God, fully man. And yet he didn't consider it robbery to take upon himself the form of a man and even die the death of the cross. And that death was not his death that he died. He died that death for you. That's humility. In other words, he gave himself in your place. That's the way we're supposed to live as Christians. We look at other people that same way. I don't go, well, they can't give me anything. They can't do anything for me. You know, they don't have anything to offer, so you're out. If God had done that, we'd all be getting what we deserve, which is hell. Amen? Think about it. If you had to earn your own salvation, if you had to be so good that God would accept you, none of us are getting accepted. We fall short. To the glory of God. Amen? Everyone, Scripture says, is turned to his own way. So when you read this passage, you read it correctly in light of what Scripture declares about us. For in me, Jeff Gill dwells no good thing. Now I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I have the Holy Spirit in me, but that's a gift. My flesh? Uh Uh-uh. It's still fallen mankind. We need to see each other that way. 
Because when we see ourselves correctly, we can rightly see other people. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. You see that word twice, others. That's the focus. You, you see, there's a right way for you to look out after yourself. There are things that you should do. You need to get up, you need to feed yourself, you need to put on clothes, you need to go to work, you need to earn a living. There are things that are things that you should think about yourself and you should do them. You should take care of your body. You only get one tent, amen? So watch the bacon. (laughs) Tone it down to just a single double-double, whatever. Go easy on the Oreos and milk, okay? There are things that you should do. In other words, there are right concerns you should have, your own interests. But there are some seriously wrong ways that you can look at yourself. When you begin to put yourself above other people, when you begin to say, well, that doesn't actually apply to me, it only applies to you. When those scriptures are no longer applicable to you, but they only apply to another group of people that you're not in, you're in very dangerous ground. Because all of us, I am one of you in that sense. I am a sheep. I happen to be a sheep that is also a shepherd, but I'm still at the end of the day a sheep. And every verse in God's word, I must first teach and preach to myself. So everything that's in there needs to apply to me. And if I do that, I go really easy on all of you. Because I know myself that I have trouble. And I've spent the last 30 years digging and studying and watching and trying to live out. And I know every once in a while, hmm, didn't work out so well. You see, Jesus modeled this life. And I want to be really careful. I want to speak this to you in love. You see, there is a huge difference between real unity and uniformity. Unity comes from within. And that unity is we have been purchased with the same blood. We have been redeemed by the same Savior. We, we have our relationship with God because we are found in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's real unity. That puts us in the same place, not a different place, because I am a sinner who needs the grace of God. Amen? And when I look at myself that way, that brings us together. Because I realize what I must have By the work of the Holy Spirit, through the blood that was shed for me, you also must have. So I look at you as I look at myself. It draws us together. But uniformity is not the same. Uniformity is we cram everybody into the same mold. And we say, well, if you're not like this, then you must not be of the Lord. And if you don't look like this and talk like this and think like this, then if you think something different, well, you're not of God. Look around this room, brothers and sisters. We're not all the same. Nor does God want us to be all the same. He's not looking for uniformity. He's looking for unity and that spirit which is the bond and it's peace. 
When God's people are together in God's house and we're doing God's things, God's way, there is a unity. There is not uniformity. Matter of fact, the wonderful diversity of the gifts that God's given combined with the diversity of us as human beings makes God's kingdom a beautiful multicolored thing, a multicultural thing, and a multi-gifted thing. And so because one person does it one way, you know what, there's not a Baptist Jesus. Just saying, there's not a Presbyterian Jesus. There's not a Lutheran Jesus. There's not a Calvary Chapel Jesus. There's only one Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus is Lord, not church is Lord. Amen? That brings unity. It's internal. Because I need the finished work of Jesus Christ applied to my life and the one Holy Spirit indwells me and you. Brings unity. We can express that in all kinds of different ways. I'm sitting there listening to that reggae and going, you know what, we need to move a little more in this church. Sometimes we get a little, you know, get kind of caught in the seat and I'm seeing y'all liking that too. Going, thank you, Lord, for the diversity You know, you can worship the Lord. I know this may sound weird to you, but you can actually worship the Lord with country music too. I know that's taking it a bit far, but no, you you understand what I'm saying. There's diversity in all of that. And there's choral music and there's all kinds of things. You see, that's a picture of who we are in the Lord. Man, if it's, if, if it's all got to be just, you know, a, a piano or it's all got to be electric guitar, you see, that's that picture. We're not in uniformity, we're in unity. It can be completely different and still be honoring to the Lord. And so Paul is now going to elaborate on this for us. And he does so by saying, look, we're in Christ. We are gathered together in Christ. And so the soul winner that we saw in Philippians 1 becomes the servant in Philippians 2. And it comes to us by being humble. We take that humility of Christ. And look, that's, that's all I've got to offer. Is the king of heaven who humbled himself and became a man and died for me. I'm supposed to be like that. I didn't earn it. Paul, to explain this, begins in verse 1 with four if clauses. And look at these, if you will. Four very simple things. They're quite clear. And remember, as he says if, he's asking really a rhetorical question, which demands a negative answer, which means these things actually are. In other words, there's no question in his mind. He's saying if, then it should be. In other words, there is, is the conclusion you come to. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. The New International Version gives us a little bit clearer direction with this. If any comfort from his love. If any fellowship with the Spirit. If any tenderness and compassion. Well, of course there is. There is no if about it. If you're in Christ, then you should have tenderness and compassion. If you are in Christ, you will have fellowship in the Spirit. If you are in Christ, you will experience God's love. And if you're in Him, you of course will be encouraged by that relationship that you have with God. And so four very simple things. Paul begins with, look, 
you're experiencing that encouragement, you experienced it because you're in Christ. That's the only way any of us get encouraged in our relationship with God is by being in Christ. And so it breaks down walls. It ends division. It is an exhortation to us. It it, it is as if it is so. In other words, the body of truth, his word, declares that we are united in Christ. There's one church, one faith, one hope, one baptism, expressing itself in all manner of wonderful, beautiful ways. Prayerfully, we do that as well as we can here. But the body of Christ is made up of the believers all over this world who express themselves in many different ways. I've sat under hot tin roofs when it's 100 degrees, 110 outside with people. There's no instruments. All there is is voices and not one of them can really sing and they're praising God. Amen? That's still the body of Christ and it's still filled with the joy of the Lord. We got to be careful what we assign value to, family. Because from God's perspective, every one of us has eternal value in Christ Jesus. The second thing, all believers had the comfort from his love. Look, the only reason that you have that comfort is you have been loved by God because God is love. Amen? You didn't earn that love. God gave you that love in Christ Jesus. It was a gift to you. It was a gift to me. I didn't go out and all of a sudden become lovable. Matter of fact, some of you still aren't lovable. Neither am I at times. When I'm waiting in line, I am not lovable. Some of you ladies have seen my t-shirt. Does not shop well with others. But God still loves me even when I'm unlovable, amen? We're supposed to treat each other that way. We're supposed to love each other even when we're not lovable. That means we forgive and we absolutely look out for the best interest. Because you know what? When you're unlovable, you still want to be loved, don't you? When you're wandering around, you're in the depths of your unlovability. Your unlovability quotient is 10. You're still going, I don't know why people don't love me. (laughs) Love other people when you're like that. All of us share, notice this, fellowship in a singular spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit, amen? There are all kinds of expressions of how the Holy Spirit works in this world, but there's only one spirit. And that same spirit is in every single believer. And yet we walk around like, well, you don't have the right spirit. Well, which one's that? There's only one. (laughs) Kind of looks like an either or thing to me. You either got it or you don't. And yet we walk around, well, you know, that's not the right spirit. That's, uh, That's a Baptist spirit. Didn't know Jesus went to a specific seminary. You you see, we have one spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God. And because of that one spirit, there can only be one body. Expressed in a myriad, a beautiful, colorful picture of the Lord's work in us. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit works in diversity? Can you imagine if we all looked the same, sounded the same, walked the same, talked the same, did the same things the same way? I wouldn't want to go to heaven either. I'm looking forward to it getting more diverse when we get there. I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's going to be better than here. And the fourth thing, 
for us as believers. Paul combines tenderness and compassion. He's saying, have tender compassion towards each other. That is love in action that works towards the person who has the fault. You see, we have a tendency to take the person with the fault and we walk away from them. He says, go hunt them down and love on them. Go find somebody who needs tender compassion and you be compassionate to them. You know what we do? Well, I don't really like that person. Matter of fact, I kind of hope they get in a car wreck. Don't laugh. You all think it too. We do sometimes, don't we? Well, they deserve it. After all, look what they said to me. You see, that's not being other-centered. The other-centered person goes, man, am I a mess and do I need help? That's what the other-centered person does. You recognize who you are and you realize that when you're unlovable, when you've been mean-spirited, you've been angry, you want someone to come love on you. Do that. Be tender and compassionate. There are four results that come from this type of living, and they also were quite simple, found in verse 2. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one purpose. Four very simple things. You see, that's the type of harmony that the real work of the real spirit does in the real believer. It makes you other-centered automatically. This completed joy, this ecstasy that we're supposed to have from being a part of the body of Christ comes from having the same mind as the Lord. The Lord doesn't look at the earth and go, well, I I love everybody except, oh, those, you know, Muslims? I can't love them. No, he loves Muslims. He loves Buddhists. He loves those who are animist. He loves people who are atheists and agnostics. He loves everybody. He came to this earth so that the earth, the whole world through him would be saved. Amen. It's not like some selective club. Well, you're in the club so I can love you. And so we're reminded, look, be like-minded in that joyful living because Christ came for the whole world. We need to start living like that, being like-minded. Doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything. Doesn't mean that we'll see everything exactly the same. But it does mean that just because you have great, deep, analytic abilities, that everything you think is automatically right and everything everybody else thinks is automatically wrong. It doesn't mean if you did it one way that it's wrong to do it another We're to have like-mindedness in the sense that our attitude honors the name that's above all names, not our own name. No ministry is ever built on a person. It's built on the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? All church is about is making Christ known. That's what church is about. That means we study, we, we take in, and then we give out. Sometimes we forget what that like-mindedness is. And we all of a sudden think that everybody's got to act the same, think the same, be the same. We create little Christian robots. 
You see, that kind of love doesn't harbor suspicions. It doesn't catalog offenses. It doesn't hang on to stuff and go, oh, you know, they did this 14 years ago. That doesn't cause the body of Christ to grow. And it does not cause us to be other-centered. It focuses in on us. And so Paul says the second thing. Look, have the same love. Jesus Christ went to the cross for you. Do you have that kind of love for others? No matter whether you agree with them or not. There's nothing in there that says, well, they have to be exactly like me and then I can love them that way. That's not what happened to you. That's not how you're supposed to act. You're supposed to act as the Lord acts and be as the Lord is and have the same mind that's in him. Because if we're limited to just who we are, not going to be a pretty picture. Because as James said, we stumble in all kinds of things, amen? Especially when it comes to our tongues. Anybody ever need a bridle for that thing? You ever need to nail that to the doorpost maybe in your house? No, don't do that. Once in a while your tongue gets out, you say things that you live long enough to regret. Most of us have. Aren't you glad that you're not conditioned in your relationship with the Lord? Well, I'll love you as long as you never say anything bad. You get saved and get unsaved like the next nanosecond. (laughs) Lord, I believe that you're my savior. And then you start thinking something. Boom, you're done. You'd be like in and out of the kingdom 5,000 times a day. No, the same love. And that love transcends all of our issues. And that one spirit, you see, when we have that one spirit, it it shows up in in the way that scripture says that one spirit shows up. It's got that bond of peace. It's bounded by love. It's not selfish. It doesn't lift up its own. Read 1 Corinthians 13 and ask yourself, does the love that you have represent the spirit working in you so that what comes out of you is that kind of love? It keeps no record of wrong. Crazy, isn't it? But that's what the spirit does to you. Transforms you. And then finally, the fourth thing here is that one purpose. Look, the whole purpose for which we've been left here is the gospel, amen? Told the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all men, amen? That's the purpose for the church, if you want to look at it that way. So this common love we're supposed to have and spirit we should have and the way that we control our minds and think that results in us then having a a singular occupation of making sure that Christ is known to anyone and everyone comes down to your motivation what motivates you what motivates you today this afternoon what's going to be on your mind do nothing verse 3 says from selfish ambition or conceit Paul's going to tell us a little bit later about a couple of ladies in the church that were having an argument. And that argument between the two of them was splitting the church. Dividing the church. It had nothing to do with the church, but it was affecting the church. Let nothing be done with selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourself. In other words, you look at that person and what they're going through and say, you know what? I could be just like that, so I'm going to have tenderness and compassion and love, and I'm going to care for the other person more than I do for myself. I'm going to, in essence, capitulate. If it's going to save the character of God, I'm going to say, you know what? I won't, I won't go there. I'm going to make sure that the Lord's first. 
And if the Lord's first, then others are going to be second, and you're going to be last. Ouch. But I don't like that, you might be saying. That's because that's what our flesh tells us. We have to be first. That's your flesh. That's my flesh. When, I, it, when it's got to be all about me, it's not all about him. When it's got to be all about me, it's not all about him. It's an automatic. If it's all about me, it's not about him. It's about me. Focus. You see, if it's all about him, then practically it's going to be about others because Jesus came for others, didn't he? He didn't come for himself. Jesus did not come for himself, did he? He went to the cross not for himself because of me. Jesus hung on the cross for me. Not because he did anything wrong. That's our focus. That's how we should be living our lives. My motivation is no longer selfish. It's other-centered. And you have to be aware of ill-motivated people. When people are so focused on self that they can't get past themselves, that's a sign they're either spiritually immature or not saved. That's a spiritually immature person who cannot get past themselves. The spiritually mature person gets past themselves and says, look, I don't matter as much as you do. People who are conceited, selfishly ambition, those types of people can ruin a church because they have to have it their way. And the moment you say that, you block out everything else that anybody else might ever think. It's not a good way to do church. And so we have to beware of those comparisons. I call it Christianized narcissism. When I get so self-focused, even in spiritual things, I can become narcissistic in the way I think about Christian things. And pretty soon, worship has to look like this, and church has to look like this, and songs need to be like that, and every Bible study needs to have X number of points. I've had people send me emails. Well, you know, sometimes you have seven points, and sometimes you have five points. I mean, you should have five points, or you should have seven points. I'm like, you know, I never saw Jesus do that. Never once in all of Scripture did Jesus go point one. Some people teach that way. Some people glean from it. Sometimes I have six. Sometimes I have seven. Sometimes I have two. I hope that there's been one point that's been made by the Holy Spirit. I've seen churches divided over what color the walls were going to be painted. That is a spot on the name of the Lord. Beware of those comparisons. People are different. Churches at times going to look different. There's no room for pride. There's room only for humility. That God would use any of us is an amazement to me. You, you see, when we start comparing other people or, or other things or other ways, we automatically are focusing on us. You cannot compare someone or something else without first looking at you. And the moment you look at you, you're looking in the wrong place. You need to be looking at others first. So you know what? Okay, let's bring that back. How does that affect? What is it going to do? How can we meet those common goals, those needs? It's easy to get caught up in competition and 
you know, aggressive acquiring of stuff and things, and we lose sight of the Savior. Let's just make it simple. You see, if you scope it out, if you look at your life, if you take a look, as Paul reminds us here in verse 4, each of us look not. In other words, he says, don't look at your own interest, but you look at the interest of others. If you do that, you're going to be really easy to get along with. And you're also going to be very attractive to other people because people are going to think that you care. They're going to believe that you have their interest in mind. And in doing so, other people will come to you because they know that you care about them. But if you come across as only caring about you, you're going to find your friend list is short. Because people don't like to be around selfish people. When we check it out, what we ultimately come up with is we need to be other-centered. That's the best way for us to live our lives. When you have that genuine interest, you lose the selfishness, you lose the pride. You, You don't find yourself needing to get in touch with your inner feelings. You know what's inside of you and it's not good. But you focus on other people and all of a sudden what concerns the Lord Jesus also concerns you because he was other centered. He looked at the world and says they need help. So we as Christians look at the world and say let me help. Can you imagine Jesus waking up in the morning and being a grump? Think about it for a second. You know getting up well you know I just you know, I had a bad day, so I'm just not going to, you know, I'm no longer going to be savior to anybody. It doesn't fit, does it? That's because he was other-centered. He has a reason to, look at us. He has a reason to have a bad day, okay? It's us. We create problems for God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, don't we? Every day when you get up, God has something new to deal with because you're alive. But the Lord Jesus said, well, you know, I think I'm going to skip controlling the universe this week. No, he loves us anyway. He's focused on you. He's focused on me. He's focused on us. And if we live our lives that way, church is going to be a whole bunch better. And the world's going to be better for it. I pray that we just live our lives others-centered. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can have that, that real joy. You, Jesus, first and others second and ourselves somewhere down the line. We ask God that by your Spirit's presence in our lives that we take these truths and live them as best we can. God, help us to focus on the needs of others first. Uh, to see them the way that we want to be seen ourselves and So, Father, we thank you for your goodness expressed to us that you, Jesus, while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And so we bless you for your other-centered love. We pray that we would have the same kind of love. Bless us as your church. Fill us with your spirit. Anoint us for the lives that you want us to live. We ask these things in the wonderful, amazing name of Jesus. Amen.